Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week we have a Clive Barker double feature, Nightbreed, and Lord of Illusions. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Well, somebody else sent me a message that for some reason popped in ahead of your guys in Messenger, so. And it's them trying to get me to vote for their friend's home salon in some sort of contest, which I'm clearly going to do. <laughs> sure. Damn it. Well, which home salon do you think I should opt for? I think uh, home salons should just win on their merit, not by votes. Okay, and how do you measure the merit of a home salon? I don't know. You look at them bitchin' dudes. I don't know what that means exactly. It's been like eight years since last time I had to go to anything resembling a professional groomer of any sort so I'm just saying you see if them girls got them sick ass perms or not <laughs> alright I may not be a fashion expert but I'm reasonably confident you do not measure 2020 salons based on the quality of their perms yeah them sick ass perms tight ass perms that's what I'm talking about you guys have had way too much time at home clearly yep <laughs> Gotta get them dope-ass perms for that prom hair. Well, to be fair, I never went to a prom, so I can't comment. Oh, you missed out. Did I? No. Do, do you think I would have really enjoyed myself had I gone to a prom? I went to uh, three. I went to three proms. They were all horrible. I went to two proms. One was okay, and that's it. Like just, you, just okay. But you're the kind of sick individual that enjoys wearing a tie. I mean, not back then, though. I don't know. This feels like a cover-up. I was going to say, the one that sucked, I also got fucking hoodwinked into going to, like, the school-sponsored after-prom, and that... What? I would... I would fucking eat glass before doing that again. Wow. School-sponsored after-party, eh? Like... Holy fuck, it was the worst thing ever. in case you thought you were going to enjoy yourself, why would the, what would be the point of that? I don't. There, I I have no fucking idea. But there was a palm reader and a fucking hypnotist, and it was. I mean, it was like a fucking carnival for children. Amazingly, like palm reader and hypnotist is already better than what I was picturing. <laughs> oh. Wow! Shit! Never yeah, speak of it again. I knew we were going to talk about horror this week, but I didn't know we were going there. God yeah. damn it. I'm legitimately scared yeah. of that. The darkest horror. 
Clive Parker ain't got shit on fucking school sponsored after prom. School sponsored after prom party. Yeah, it, uh, I, I can't even imagine. <laughs> why, why would you end the prom if the school is willing to continue having parties? <laughs> just, you just have the prom continue happening. Just bring in the illusionist, or whatever the fuck you said was there. <laughs> against all of this as you should be <laughs> i can't believe how upset i am this is, once once you hit 40 you're not supposed to get upset about high school issues anymore i don't <laughs> think but this is openly upsetting to me i'm just saying if 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 when your child grows up he tells you that he's gonna go to the after prom and he's not lying slap that child in the face <laughs> Well, he won't be a child at the time, and I will be an old man, so I will not be hitting him. <laughs> and uh, I don't need him to learn that he can beat me up at such a young age. I was going to say, and then sneak him like condoms and a bottle of whiskey and be like, <laughs> you you know what to do. Don't go to that after prom. Mm. <sighs> I, uh, I never went with a single girlfriend, so it was always terrible. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I didn't get any of the benefits of going with, you know, a woman as you would at a prom. Because I always had to go with friends. It was terrible. I like your humble brag about having friends in high school, though. I uh, I was going to say, one of them, I went Don't with my, my friend's girlfriend's older sister. Oh, God. And one, I went with one of my friend's girlfriend at the time because he had already asked another girl to prom before they started dating and felt sad canceling on her. I'll tell you what, the one that I went with the uh, friend's girlfriend's sister, that worked out all right. So (laughs) it was okay. It was a good time. Terrible. The other other one after prom. No. See all the fun you missed, Doug? Yeah. Yeah, I really missed out there. Yeah. Instead, you stayed home and didn't waste your time. <laughs> yeah, how was your non-vacation vacation? Oh, it was exciting. That was exciting. Don't get me wrong. Having to cancel a vacation last minute? while everybody else has tried to cancel their vacation last minute, so you get to be on hold for the entire day that you had booked off specifically to spend packing for your vacation that got canceled. <laughs> did you did you at least get refunds on everything? Uh, no. So we paid for two nights in a hotel that we didn't get to use, and we have flight did- credits but not refunds, so... So the hotel didn't give you your money back? Correct. Did you do it through Expedia or something like that? I, I did. Oh, it, yeah, that, but, that's where you fucked up. Those those companies are soul-sucking bastards. Always go straight but, through the hotel. But I contacted the hotel and asked them, like, because they they'll do it if they can, right? Like, And the hotel said, you know, we're a hotel in Vegas and we're going to be empty for months, so we're going to keep the money we already have. <laughs> Basically how that went. Couldn't even talk about the, like vouchers or something. No, the airline did that. They, even they, even they wouldn't give us money back, but they gave us 
credits, which we have to use by the end of this year or they expire. So that's that's really fucked. We uh, I bought tickets to a show for Char for Christmas, which, of course, is in May. So it got canceled mm-hmm. and they they finally rescheduled it. And, of course, it's going to be while we're gone on our honeymoon. So I called up that place to be like, yeah, I'm going to need my money back because we can't go on that day. And they were like, we're not giving you your money back. Yeah, I was like, well, I was like, why not? And they were like, well, because the the uh, person putting on the show has to okay it and they did not okay it. So I sent that show an email and they were like, we absolutely told them to give everyone refunds. And (laughs) so now they're all pissed off and they're trying to help me get my money back. So that's nice. Good. We have a uh, because part of my vacation was supposed to be to go on uh, to go to hockey games, and we have tickets to those games naturally because you don't fly somewhere without buying the tickets to the game first. Well, technically, all those games are postponed, so we can't get our money back until they announce new dates, and then we'll see what happens. And if- I mean, aren't they aren't they talking about just not having a hockey season? Well, and that's. Yeah, I mean, basically, it'll be a question of if they do reschedule those games, when will they reschedule them? And if they reschedule them is a question, or if they jump right into playoffs, or if they do nothing and just cancel it, or what. So we're kind of just hoping right now that those games just don't happen, and then we're guaranteed refunds. But if they go ahead and set new dates for those games and say, yeah, that's the same game, it's just happening in September now, and it's like, well, I don't plan to be in that country in September, so is there any way we can work around that? I I mean, maybe a luck out, and what they'll do is they'll just say, so we're not having the season this year, and we're just moving this season to next year. And then you could just schedule the same vacation. That'd be there's talk of that actually happening, but I just don't know how likely it is that that would work out with trying to ensure that those arenas are open in the same like collection of days. Maybe. We'll see what so, happens. Well, it's, it's, it's a wait and see thing. I did tell you guys too. I had a second vacation that got canceled because I strung together a whole another vacation based on the existing rules on the like day I was supposed to leave for my first vacation, and halfway through that, the rules changed and I had to come home. That sucks. So I like, yeah, I start like we planned like because they were saying like don't gather in groups of more than fifty people, don't travel internationally, and don't try to avoid like planes and buses and shit, right? Because you don't want to be locked in a, in with any amount of people at any given time. So we planned like a whole road trip, and then like halfway through it, we're like, they're like, yeah, you guys are gonna have to go home now because even road trips aren't allowed anymore, basically. <laughs> Like, I was in a brewery, left to get dinner, went to go back to the brewery, and when we got back, they're like, yeah, you guys can't come in now. And we're like, what the hell? We were just here. And they're like, yeah, rules changed while you were gone to dinner. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, literally, the guy says the provincial government called us while you were gone and said you guys can't come back in. Like, well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, I mean, at least least you were in Canada, so they said, sorry. You know, America, they would have just held a sign up to the door and, like, gave me the finger. (laughs) Well, they were trying to convince us to buy beer to take with us because we could think they were still allowed to keep the little store part open of the brewery. Yeah, none of my shit got canceled. Yeah. I don't watch any sports. I wasn't going on a trip. I'm good. I did see a meme somewhere that said now sports fans know what it's know what we all felt like when Firefly got canceled. It does feel the same, I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> Having been through both That's of these sim- tragedies. Similar. <laughs> It's, yeah. 
And it's it's actually the same feeling almost directly because you're like you can see it coming and you're like, but don't, just don't, no, oh, <laughs> <laughs> now it's done. Anybody do any reading during their quarantine? I've always been reading some Lovecraft. Yeah, I've been going through my audio book of Lovecraft, but you know I'm still working full time, so <laughs> my my schedule has not changed a minute. So. Well, I'm still working too, but I just get to work from home. It's great. Yeah, I don't get I don't get to work from home. I'm one of the five people in the building that apparently is going to work from the building for this entire thing for some reason. Nah. I, I think I'd rather go to work than work from home. If I'm being honest, I just have shit. I have shit I could get done at home while I was working, so that would be nice. And my dog wouldn't have to be in his pen all day. I guess. Plus, you wouldn't have to wear pants, which would be nice. Right. And so my office, this sounds like such a a weird uh, first world problem kind of thing. But just the fact that everybody's gone and it's so desolate, it's stressful. And I don't know why. Like, it bothers me. Oh, I get it. Because, like, in the summers, a lot of people take Fridays off at my work. And if you're working until, like, 5 o'clock on Friday... You'll be like literally walking around the building counting the people, and it feels fucking weird and hard to be there. So I, I totally understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah. And just like, and people aren't sitting where they're supposed to be sitting and stuff. I don't. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't want that person to be there, but it's weird that they're not. Yeah. I should be angry about them not being here, or angry about them being here, not angry about them not being here. This is the wrong type of rage. I was going to say, it's another one of those random things that whenever I think about it too long, I'm like, you know what? I might be on the spectrum. <laughs> I, do not, I do not do well when people move shit around. <laughs> Setting. So it's too bad nobody had any time to read any Clyde Barker stories while you're off? No, I intended to, but I actually... My one attempt to find these two stories, I did not find them immediately, and I gave up. (laughs) (laughs) Typed them into Google, and you're like, well, fuck this. Randomly enough, I own Cabal. It's sitting on my bookshelf. Yeah. I've been wanting to read Clive Barker. I wanted to see him speak one time, and I just thought he was a genius, the way he spoke and the way he just... The way he clearly had like an end game and a start, and then he would talk for a half an hour to get in between the two, and everything made sense. Kind of like these movies, everything made sense, even though it's kind of hard to follow. Um, I thought that was genius, and I just, I'm like, I'm going to start reading what that guy wrote because I think that'd be great. I've never done it. It's been a decade right. saying that now. I, I highly recommend his uh, short stories, and Weave World's pretty good. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of the young adult series that I can't even remember the fucking name of it. It's Aberat. Aberat, yeah. Not I'm not movie. a big I'm I'm not a big fan. Well you're not a young adult either, so Yeah, but I like like Harry Potter and shit and it was young adult, so Uh Hellborn Hellborn Heart is really good. Yeah. It's the basis for Hellraiser and it's pretty short. Yeah. Yeah, I, read, I listened to the audiobook of that a long, long time ago. Books, books of Blood's really good. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what uh, the Last Illusion is in uh, volume. 
five, four? One of them. Anyways, you can't borrow them online from my local library, and that's as far as I got trying, so. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of companies are uh, dropping their prices to give people something to do while they're quarantined. Yeah. Should have looked. Well, I also have a three-year-old, so it's not like I'm just sitting around the house during this quarantine. Yeah. I spend a lot of time standing in front of doors going, no, you can't go out there. That's why you read to him. See? Two birds well, yeah, with one stone. I, I'm not <laughs> sure my kid's going to sit Clive Parker. <laughs> yeah, I was getting ready to say, all he needs to do, read a little bit of homoerotic <laughs> S&M horror. Yeah, see? <laughs> it works. <sighs> Got to get him started early. <laughs> Otherwise, they'll never pick up on the nuance. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I'm trying to get him Star Wars, Star Wars books. If there's any, he won't do it. And I think it's just a matter of him not wanting to concede that I'm right about them being awesome. It's just like, no, I will not read the book that you picked, Dad. I will pick my own book. Anyways. Uh, so we're here to talk about movies. And we're doing oh, really? two Clive Barker movies. Uh, yeah. Noah, since I know you watched multiple versions of it, do you want to recap Nightbreed? Fuck yeah. Uh, so, man, this story's complicated. Oh, man. <laughs> so, okay. yeah, so, so we've got our main character, Boone, who is a, uh, uh, a machinist who has some mental problems, who's been seeing a psychiatrist. But he's been feeling a lot better lately. Uh, turns out, psychiatrist tells him that he's murdered a bunch of families. <laughs> Which, that would be a hell of a thing not to know you did. Uh, moving forward, he's having nightmares about a city of monsters called Midian. Uh, jumping forward, turns out it's a real place. He gets bitten by one of the monsters, becomes a monster. His psychiatrist is a horrible masked serial killer uh, and uh, basically the apocalypse happens and he becomes the the harbinger of the future society of the people of the moon yeah so which There's versions, a lot of which versions did you watch uh so I did not watch the cabal cut because that's the last one I watched fairly recently so I watched the theatrical cut and the director's cut and I watched the director's cut. I also watched the director's cut. Okay. Both of you made the right decision because I think after watching them all three that close together, I think the director's cut is the superior cut of the film. I remember at one point I watched the director's cut and the cabal cut back to back, and I preferred the director's cut, but I do not remember why because it was a while ago. So the the cabal cut is almost basically a fan edit of the movie in which they just take all the cutting room floor shit and jam it back in. Okay. It, and it makes it bloated and overly long without adding a lot. But the difference the difference between the theatrical cut and the director's cut is huge. Like that's a big fucking difference between two cuts of a movie. See, I don't think I would have seen the theatrical cut since I rented the VHS kind of thing. Right. And it's it's almost it is almost worth watching them back to back one time just to see how different of a movie those two movies are. Okay. 
because while uh, so the director's cut adds about 20 minutes of footage, but changes about 40 minutes of the film. So about half the movie is different due to re-edits and, and changing the order of things and stuff like that. Because well, one of the things that struck me when I watched the movie is like the reputation of the movie is that it's a little bit nonsensical and hard to follow. And I was kind of watching it with that in mind, having not seen it in a couple of years. And all of a sudden I'm like, no, it isn't. Like it makes complete logical sense. Like this is a very well put together story, even though there's kind of multiple different storylines intertwining and that everything is easy to follow. Um, so that I assume was corrected in the director's cut. Correct. So it adds the director's cut adds a little bit more stuff with Decker, a little bit more stuff with the girlfriend, and it adds a lot more stuff in Midian that actually introduces and explains all of the fucking side characters in Midian, which okay. in the theatrical cut you don't get any of. Like, mm-hmm. so you basically. It, a couple of those characters show up for two seconds a couple of times, and at the end fight, you're like, wait, why am I supposed to be so interested in this this weird devil-horned guy? I don't even know who the fuck this guy is, you know what I mean? See, that's weird. You should think the studio would want to keep as much of the monster stuff in there as possible. Right, especially that's got to be the whole budget of the damn movie. Well, oh, for sure, yeah. The version I watched had a little intro from Clyde Barker. And okay. it went on for like at least a good five minutes. And he was talking that uh, it seems like the studio was uncomfortable having a movie where the monsters were the good guys. So okay. they chopped down a lot of that Midian stuff well, just the, to, I don't know, be dumb. See, see, that makes sense to me, except for the fact that this is based on a book and they hired the guy to write the movie and direct the movie based on his own book. They should have kind of expected the movie to be, they should have known what was coming, right? Should have. But I guess they're, they're studio executives and they're idiots. Mm-hmm. God, I hate studio executives. I don't know if you guys ever noticed that or not. Because <laughs> it's just so weird that you would, I mean, obviously, uh, having not read the book because I tried a little bit and wasn't able to, it has to all be in there, right? Like all this stuff of a median has to come straight from the book. Clive Barker's not making it up on the fly. It's a, it's a pretty good interpretation. Uh, the, the the two biggest complaints I have that are differences between the, the story and the, the films is that in the story, Decker's motivations are like a little bit better explained. <laughs> than they are in the movie where he's just kind of like, I just like to kill people and these people are even more people and I'm going to kill those people too. Yeah, that's how I took it in the movie and I'm like, it's... Yeah, yeah, it's a little weird. And then the... So the girlfriend in the films is a much weaker character than she is in the story because in the story, she wants to become one of the tribe of the moon just because she like sympathizes with their cause not not she's not just like mooning over fucking Boone the entire time. That's not her sole motivation, like it is in the film. Okay, seems about right. But that's it. Besides that, I mean, the stories are pretty fucking lockstep. I mean, I think the story you get a lot more of the preacher character. 
Yeah, I kind of felt like he was shoehorned in here, so I wasn't, I'm not surprised that he's a more important character in the book. Well, and he's kind of it's kind of the same thing as the movie where it, it feels like it was always set up for a follow up story that Clive Barker never fucking wrote. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yes. Yes, there is. Oh. I, I, I want to know. I, I want I want the rest of the fucking story. God damn it. You've got a crazy burnt faced preacher running around in a in a uh, the broken body of a fucking monster god in pieces being ferried around by groups of shape-changing monster people. That, I need it. <laughs> I, need, I need that story. I mean, I'm not saying it wouldn't be an interesting story. I'm just saying I don't feel this feels like it doesn't have an ending. Like, it does. It certainly sets itself up for a potential sequel, but it's it finishes the story it's telling as well, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we never find out what what happens to all the monsters. They're all spread out. Well, they're going to find a new home with Boone as their three guy. Right? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> never I think they're gonna. <laughs> they're, This whole thing takes place in northern Alberta. They're going to get cold soon. Trust me. They're going to find somewhere to go inside. <laughs> I think uh, this one, I, I really want them to remake this movie and do a follow-up movie there. <laughs> A sequel to the remake? Yeah, they need to do a remake and then a sequel to the remake. Could they do it as a series? Since that's what they do everything now? You know, it could be a series. I just my, my problem with it as a series is I feel like uh, horror series seem to always be fucking weak. Does that does that make sense? Like they're they always end up getting too uh, popcorny and not enough crazy monsters doing monster well, things allow, allow me to put forth a, a theory here though I'm not sure if this is really that much of a horror story though it's really more of a fantasy story right it's I suppose there is a dude who literally rips the skin off of his own head yes there are the monsters are certainly could be characters from horror stories but they don't they're not horrific in the traditional sense, right? They're not these monsters stalking the human characters that you would expect to see. So from that sense, I think there would be something interesting about having a series where you could spend some time in Midian and get to know these, you know, quote unquote monsters as characters and get, you know, treat it as more of an action fantasy story than a horror story but it would certainly have horror elements you guys I, i'm assuming you guys have seen the the few movies that clive barker directed correct well, we're talking about yes. two of them today so i, I was I getting mean, ready to say did did lord of illusions close you out there brian yeah i mean there's only the three right i think so yeah I was I was gonna say, uh, did you guys notice the weird? There's a weird lack of homoeroticism in this one. <laughs> I mean, all we all we got is the dude with the rat necklace with the weird titty tattoos and the nipple rings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess there's some shots of Craig Schaefer just running around in his underwear in his apartment. Right. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I think maybe there's some homoeroticism going on with the monsters, and you just can't tell because they're all so weird looking that you don't know which ones are. Maybe the same gender. Maybe that's what's going on. I I also think it's weird that Doug Bradley's in this movie and he is unrecognizable. 
almost had trouble finding him. <laughs> Literally, like, was looking for him because his name's in the opening credits. And I was like, uh, he's around here somewhere. Well, I recognize him because in the theatrical cut, he's dubbed. Because okay. studios are dumb and decided to dub over arguably one of the best, like, vocal actors in, like, forever. And, uh... In the director's cut, they undubbed him, so a little bit easier to recognize. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't understand why you would dub him at all. Yeah, that is bizarre. Because someone needed to make a studio note to, you know, justify their job on the movie. Yeah, I guess. Do you guys do you guys have a favorite monster? Uh, Jeez, that's a tough question. I don't think I do have a favorite. I think it would change every time I watch it, depending on the mood I'm in. Because you got, like, the dude with, like, the moon face that I thought was ridiculous this time watching it, but I can certainly see myself being in a different mood and really thinking that was great. Probably he's, the por- he's, porcupine girl is probably my favorite one. He he does look like Mac tonight a little yes. bit. <laughs> yes, that's why I thought it was ridiculous, because for some reason I had that commercial in my head. But maybe if I had less time to think about old commercials while I was watching the movie, I wouldn't be doing that. The the uh, the one I thought looked really good was the when the girlfriend character shows up and there's like the one kid nightbreed that has wandered into the sun. Yeah, like that whatever that's supposed to be, that creature that's suffering in the sun looks really good. I'm not I think she's supposed to be some kind of a cat creature, but I'm not sure. Not hundred percent sure. I think like Wikipedia described it as wolf like, but I'm like it's not really. So I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what it's supposed to be, but it's cool looking. And really, a lot of them, I'm not sure exactly what they're supposed to be. I was going to say, I've, I've always been a big fan of, I think the character's name's Peliquin, but the the red dude. Mm-hmm. Oh, the one who's a giant prick? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the one who's a douchebag. <laughs> Is that the one that tries to eat Boone at the beginning there? I like the fact that they keep that, too, because in the, in the fucking written story, he's a douchebag, too. Yeah. I just like that they all had their own characters and they had their own, like, society going on underneath there. I thought that was all neat. It really reminded me of uh, Island of Dr. Moreau, which is one of my favorite stories. And I, I love that idea that these monsters just have their own society going on. And it's hidden away from the rest of us. Well, it has to be, because... Obviously, this this movie is almost like a documentary. Can't have nice things. We just have to destroy everything. Yeah. What's that? People are different. Let's get a bunch of rednecks with guns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, why are they hiding under there? Because last time they came out, people tried to wipe them out. Well, then we better try to wipe them out. <laughs> right. It's the only logical solution. I also I, I also like the fact in the story that there really is nobody who like isn't monstrous if that makes sense because while the uh, while the the tribes of the moon are the victims in this that they're, they're also fucking monsters that like <laughs> clearly eat people and, and stuff like that you know what I mean yeah yeah if like. If they're not eating people, it's because somebody has told them it's against the rules to eat people, not because they just instinctively know better. Yeah, yeah, there's a specific rule. Hey, don't just don't just randomly eat people. Don't eat people who walk through our cemetery because they're going to notice that. Meat's also yeah. 
it's very clear too that the rule don't eat people isn't based on any kind of morality it's based on this is how we don't get caught 100 <laughs> percent uh do we all agree that we kind of need a spinoff movie with david cronenberg's character in it yeah, yeah. Like, still I, like just film it like next week doesn't matter I was gonna, it's gotten. that's that's what i'm gonna say if they if they remake this film they could recast this entire fucking movie and I would be okay with it, but fucking keep Cronenberg as uh, button face. The thing that drives me nuts is when I watch this movie and I'm like, why the fuck didn't Cronenberg act more? Like, he could have been a great horror actor as well as a great horror director if he was willing to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I didn't check his IMDb, but he doesn't have a lot of credits, I don't think, as an actor. Let's find out. I know he was just in a movie recently, but it doesn't mean anything. So I think I had seen, like, Jason X before I saw this, and I remember thinking, wow, he can act. Like, that's surprising. And then see this, and you're like, oh, that's an outstanding performance. Oh, yeah. He... He is one of the best slasher villains of all time, and he's not even in a slasher movie. <laughs> no, he's just he he really that the look and the performance and everything just goes together perfectly. And I think he could really be a, a standout villain on his own. And it's yep. it's written right into this movie. He has thirty five credits for acting in IMDb. Really? How many of those are for horror related projects? Well, he was in Shivers. He apparently was in Videodrome. Okay. Movie called Into the Night. I don't know what that is. Uh, Well, Jeff Goldblum uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, helps a lady on the run. It's like one of those comedic thriller type movies. Uh, So he was in The Fly, Dead Ringers, Nightbreed. Uh, Yeah, I don't really counting. All yeah, of the movies yeah. he was in, where he was just a small role in his own film. It's great that he does that. But is it, is it weird whenever you said Goldblum? Now I kind of want a a weird, uh, dead heat esque buddy cop horror movie with Jeff Goldblum and David Cronenberg. I don't think there's anything weird about that. That's one of the most normal things you've said since we started this podcast. <laughs> he was in a movie called Trial by Jury. A movie called Booze Can the fuck is this oh, this looks not a horror movie in the description the description on imdb just says booze can starring actor tony napau okay what the fuck is it about <laughs> starring who tony napau n-a-p-p-o i reiterate my who <laughs> so i don't know what that movie is about Oh, apparently he was in To Die For. I haven't seen that in forever. That's enough. We get the picture. He doesn't play enough slasher villains. He literally was just, he's like doing stuff now, which is crazy. Blood and Donuts, Crash, that doesn't count. Uh, The Stupids, oh Jesus Christ. (laughs) Jason X, on Alias, Barney's version. What the fuck is Barney's version? That looks dumb. Um, but most recently he was in a TV miniseries called Alias Grace. He played a reverend. It's a kind of a horror story. Yeah. Uh, disappearance at Clifton Hill, which 
came out last year, and I believe that's the one where he plays a podcaster. And uh, I didn't know he was in that. I just saw a preview for that the other day. Just thinking about watching it. Apparently, he's a podcaster. And other uh, shockwaves, they keep they keep talking about it because they say it's really weird hearing him say, "Make sure you like and subscribe," because that's how the kids find us. And a movie this year called Falling, where he plays a proctologist. Okay. Conservative awesome. father moves from his rural farm to live with his gay son's family in Los Angeles. Uh, directed by Vigo Mortensen as well. So. That sounds yeah. weird. Yeah. So 35 acting credits for Mr. Cronenberg. Should be more. Yeah. All right. So back to Nightbreed. Does anybody have anything they want to jump to? <laughs> uh, when did What's-His-Face go from being an okay actor to a not very good actor? Well, you'll have to be a little more specific. There's lots of What's-His-Faces. Uh, dude, dude that plays Boone. I can never remember. Craig Schaefer? Oh. Craig Schaefer. Because in this, yeah, that's what I'm saying. In this, he's pretty all right. It's but not then you like. But then you watch movies he's been in the last 10 years, and you're like, oh, no. Shame on you. <laughs> I don't know what he's been in the last 10 years. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's technically your fault for watching those movies. The answer is bad movies. Yeah, yeah I'm not surprised. <laughs> but yeah, I, I only know him from this, and I think he's very acceptable, but his performance isn't great in this either, right? It's just fine. I'd say most of the performances are just fine, with the exception of Cronenberg. Yeah, Cronenberg, uh, Doug Bradley does good, of course. And then uh, I think the guy who plays uh, Pelinquin does a pretty good job. You know what? I'll even say everybody under the makeup does a good job because Mm -hmm. they're all having to act through that makeup. And they do – the fact that their performances aren't bad means they're doing very well. Uh, But the – like the – the whoever that cop is, that the small town sheriff that riles up his army, it's like, yeah, you're fine, but you're kind of a cartoonish small town sheriff from a western. Yeah, that's about right. Also, 1990 small town in Canada. Why do they have all those weapons? Like, why? <laughs> that town wouldn't even it wouldn't even have its own sheriff's department. I wouldn't think. I think they would. That's clearly a British guy writing North American sheriffs whose only root knows him from Western movies. I was going to say, and that's that's clearly a Barker flourish, like the dude licking the garrote wire and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it, it just it speaks to me as weird because in my head I was watching it going like that town wouldn't even have a police department. They would just be covered by the RCMP. <laughs> Uh, I would say all the makeup looks amazing in this movie still. Yeah, I agree. The special effects are great. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's go with the makeup effects are great. Because there's a lot of times where they're in that graveyard and there's very clearly like a... one of those map paintings at the back. And it does not look great. Hmm, I didn't even notice. Yeah, I, Uh, I, I did not notice at all. I noticed it quite a bit. And if you notice it, it means it doesn't look that good. So I kind of wondered why they didn't just go film in a real cemetery somewhere rather than have it look that bad. I'm guessing it's all the explosions. Yeah. At the end, it sort of makes sense that you wouldn't want to do that in a real cemetery, but 
that's the other probably flaw in this movie is like that and it's probably more to do with the era it came out in than anything else but that's such a direct video 90s action sequence that goes on at the end <laughs> you're just like yeah individually some of the shots are all right but this is just really just a lot of guys running in circles screaming running circles and screaming sounds <laughs> sounds like a saturday night in my house <laughs> wow you just really reached for something funny to say there right? yeah i don't know yeah i thought it sounded funny and then i had nothing to follow it up with all right uh i don't know any other favorite moments uh when they set the berserkers loose I'm a little yeah. disappointed that you don't get to see Berserkers fucking more shit up. I could have used about two and a half more minutes of just Berserkers killing people. This is kind of the problem when we review movies we really like. There's not a, uh, there's not a bunch, uh, a lot of stuff to kind of go over. It's all just, this was awesome, this was awesome, this was awesome. Yeah, I mean, if, if, you're, so, if you wanted to come up with the, the flaws in this movie, I think some of the stuff with the girlfriend is drags a little like when she meets that other girl in the bar and then like I'm glad Cronenberg gets to kill that other girl but it it feels like she just shows up to get killed two scenes later and that's it right right pretty much yeah so I mean like we can nitpick it like that but I don't want to nitpick movies that I like (laughs) (laughs) If this were a bad movie, I would nitpick the shit out of it. There's probably a bunch of little things I could find like that. And the movie, like I said, it shows its budget in a couple of places, too. And Obviously, they, they made the right decision to put all the money into the makeup effects. But some of the other stuff, I think, suffers from it. Again, that partially being just the era as well. But what about the scene where Cronenberg uh, in full mask is like interrogating that old guy from the gas station that knows about Midian but doesn't want to tell him? That was and, he, cool. and he has the weird murder orgasm while he's talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but everything about that scene, like it looks great. I love the fact that the guy's like tied up in Christmas lights for some reason. It's stupid, but it's awesome. Right. If we were and we were talking about the makeup and stuff, it's such a simple thing. But God damn it, that mask is great. Yeah. Yeah. The scene where he's like stalking through this couple's house, that was pretty fantastic. Yeah. Just the and something about like the zipper mouth, the way it kind of like pulls down into one side instead yep. of being where you'd think it would be. Ugh. The fact that there is a zipper mouth, but that it's open for some reason is inherently creepy to me, and I'm not sure why. I'm just like, <laughs> if you can have it zippered, then zipper it shut. But he keeps it open. I don't like that. It makes me it makes me uneasy. <laughs> There's a question I have for you guys. When do you think, if you were watching this for the first time and didn't know any better, you would have figured out that the psychiatrist character was the one doing the killing? At the very beginning. <laughs> when he so? opens his okay. briefcase and says something ominous, and then it cuts to okay. people being uh, killed. I was going to say, so even even if you are you can't pick up on those type of cues, the second... Uh, Boone ends up in the hospital and they tell him the pills he's taking are a heavy dose of hallucinogen instead of lithium. You'd be like, okay, well, that psychiatrist clearly drugged him, so he's he's the killer. Okay. 
So I was just kind of wondering that because I'm like, obviously, I know going in. So I was like, are they trying to hide it or aren't they? But I guess it's pretty obvious no matter what. Now that you guys are bringing up those points. Right. And we're going and we're going on the assumption that everybody that would listen to this podcast has seen this movie. But if if you haven't seen this movie, please, dear God. <laughs> oh, this movie, and please. find the director's cut. Yeah, what's yeah. The, and the director's cut is generally the easiest one to find if you're buying a physical copy. Uh, even streaming, I found it was the easiest one. Yeah, see, I found the theatrical cut real easy. It's on Amazon Prime. But if you have uh, Shout Factory, their bonus extension to Amazon Prime, then the director's cut's on there. I think you can get it. Shout Factory has their own like Roku channels. If you're looking for it that way, I think it's on there as well. Yeah. I watched it through the Hoopla app. So borrowed it from the library, technically. Nice. The only reason I did that is because it was the one that was labeled as a director's cut. And that way, when you guys asked, I'd know which one I watched. <laughs> but when I double checked, the other version was also the same length. So it must have been director's cut. I got I got super excited for Hoopla. And then I found out that uh, apparently our library is one of the libraries that does not participate. So I can't have oh. it. Bunch of dicks. Yeah, that's upsetting. Yeah, I, of course, have it on Screen Factory Blu-ray. So. Of course you do. Of course you do. You probably have two. Do you have a steel book? No. No, actually I just recently got it with our most recent like sixty percent off sale. So yeah. it's one that I'm like, oh, I've been needing to pick that up and it's super cheap, so we'll do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's hard to talk about this one because this one's it's probably if you ask me to list like top five favorite horror movies, this one's top five for me. Like I fucking I fucking love this movie. It's really good. I'm I I don't understand why it's not a more popular movie. I feel like it's kind of one of those underrated ones that go back talk about. I'll tell you what. Go back and rewatch that theatrical cut, and I think you'll kind of get it because I think I was able to look past all the flaws of it. But after seeing the director's cut, it makes the the gaping holes a little more obvious that you're like oh yeah yeah that was a bad idea to cut all this stuff yeah like i say it's been so long since i saw that theatrical cut that i and i don't plan to revisit it because why would i go back to a lesser cut but for crazy film fan reasons yeah but those are the best reasons that, that would be if I was going to do crazy film print. I'd probably watch the Cabal cut and the director's cut on the same night. So like, and sit here and take notes like an asshole. Right. So <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you one thing that this movie could have used more of Scott Bakula. Well, that's every movie. <laughs> Not the next one. <laughs> Hoping every, every leap will be the leap home. <laughs> it's, <sighs> the movie just ends with Boone looking at the camera and going, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of, we uh, team this up with Lord of Illusions, Clay Barker's next movie that he directed after Nightbreed, starring one Scott Bakula. Uh, Doug, do you want to give us a rundown? Uh, sure. So it's uh, 1982. There's a weird cult in the desert run by a guy that obviously has magical powers. Uh, they've kidnapped a little girl. A group of what we learn to be former members come in, take out the leader, rescue the little girl. 
fast forward to uh, modern times, aka 1995. Um, we meet Scott Bakula's character, who's a private detective who has a bit of an affinity for delving into uh, supernatural-ish things. Uh, most notably, he's known for being involved in an exorcism. Uh, he's sent out to L.A. on a pretty standard case, and he it's like an insurance fraud case, but he manages to stumble into uh, the fact that somebody is killing the people who did the raid in the very first uh, opening kind of scenes after one of the guys who has been operating as a uh, what is he, like a tarot card reader? After he's killed the wife of one of the other guys who is now a famous illusionist hires Scott Bakula to try to find out what's going on turns out that wife is actually the little girl that was kidnapped in the beginning which is creepy and weird and I don't like it uh, illusionist is killed in an, or appears to be killed I guess in a stunt gone wrong yada 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 the survivors of that cult have been trying to find a way to resurrect their leader they're going to do it Scott Bakula has to stop him. There you go. Oh, and naturally, because it's the 90s, he has to fall in love with the woman, even though it was creepy and weird that she was sleeping with that other guy who was significantly older than her, and Scott Bakula appears to be older than him. Well, so... <laughs> so... So... Tell, tell me if I'm wrong about this, but this seems to be uh, Barker's take on, like, a Lovecraft story. I mean, it's a a a psychically sensitive detective (laughs) goes goes to a place to investigate something, discovers that there are secrets going on behind and falls into all this mystical juju and nearly goes insane at the end. (laughs) Like, yeah, I mean, but it's Clive Barker. So add to that (laughs) a twink bad guy. (laughs) It was it was terrifying, yeah. Which is which is fantastic. Uh, fucking Butterfield's awesome. What a great fucking the, villain. The two villains like him, and then his like little whatever that weird super muscular dude is that hangs out with him. Yeah, they're like they're both great villains. Completely different. It's weird to see them working together, but it's nice that they learn to see past their differences. <laughs> Uh, which version did everybody watch? I didn't know there was multiple versions. Oh, God damn it. There's a director's cut. I don't know what I watched. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, my answer. I watched my Scream Factory Blu-ray of the director's Naturally. cut. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Apparently there's only two like really big differences and they don't really change anything. It's just stuff that was edited out because, I don't know, apparently people... Thought it was too gross times. for the, the theatrical. Okay. Yeah. Well, but I hope I watch the director's cut because I don't want to miss out on gross stuff. <laughs> and so, um, apparently, the only things you really miss is uh, during the opening scene, nineteen eighty-two. Uh, the Nix, the head guy, yeah, does that little trick where he puts his fingers in the in Swan's head. Yeah. So apparently that was cut out in the theatrical cut. Okay. And then, uh, 
then also the part where Swan has to bite his thumb to make it bleed and drip it on the nails so they go into Nick's head when he puts the uh, um, puts the little mask thing on him. Yeah, sounds like I watched the director's cut then. Yeah, I would have watched the director's cut too then. Yeah, so those are the two only big changes that were listed on IMDb. So. I, I, I really liked that effect of the fingers going into the head. I thought that was cool. Yeah. That fucking... Can, can we just talk about so Clive Barker's uh, eye for these? I I don't even know what the fuck to call it. His weird demoniac aesthetic that he throws onto stuff. That fucking metal mass thing is so fucking cool. Yep. Yeah. It was like it was like the cover of an eighties heavy metal album with somebody wearing that mask. It was great. Yeah, one one hundred percent. Yeah, was, it, those okay. it, when it comes to visuals, Clyde Barker certainly knows what the hell he's doing. Mm-hmm. So I think I think I only have two big complaints in this movie. Uh, number one, there's a teeny tiny little bit of CGI, and sweet fuck, that's some bad bad CGI. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's of its era. It's, it's 1995 CGI. Oh, yeah. man. I think it was even bad for 1995. I don't That's, know. It's real bad looking. I don't know that there's any such thing as bad or good CGI from 1995. I think it just <laughs> is what it is. I, I was going to say, my only other complaint is it's real hard to make Scott Bakula look like a badass, guys. Yep. It's, it's hard well, to do. He's great. Okay. Don't get me wrong. I love Scott Bakula. He's he's a good actor and stuff. But man, whenever he tries to play tough guy, you're like, no, you just come off as like a charming dude that everybody would ignore. But part of the problem there too is the outfits that he wears because he wears like the outfits that a private eye in New Orleans in the 1940s would have worn. But he's supposed to be a private eye from New York in the 90s, and I just I can't get around like some of the. Like the plaid jackets with the plaid shirt underneath that don't match. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, why is this happening? <laughs> it's like you can't act tough in a plaid jacket. You just it's not gonna work. Well, I hate to break your guys' hearts, but I did watch the special features on this okay. before we started. There's an yeah. interview with Clay Barker talking about how happy he is with Scott Bakula's Harry Demore. That when he showed up on set in costume or whatever, that he was like, yes, this is Harry Demore. Like, this is the guy who's been in my head this whole time. Yes, I, I, I have no problem. But that's part of the problem when you have a writer director who's also the author of the original book, though. Mm-hmm. Is somebody, somebody needs to go, yeah, no, like if he's going to be a PI, a PI, he should just be wearing like normal clothes that a human being would wear. <laughs> so I here's another thing. So my favorite my favorite uh part of this entire movie feeds into my theory that this is a Lovecraft story because uh in in Lovecraft stories the the main character is always just on the outside of all the supernatural stuff happening, which is yeah. once again that's that's his character getting caught between the battle of these two magicians you know 
But fuck, at the end of the movie, whenever he comes through that door and Nix is back from the dead and Nix is like, oh, sw- wait, who the fuck are you? <laughs> <laughs> it is it is fun to watch this guy just get sucked into this battle between these very powerful beings. And he's just there. It's like I brought my little gun. You guys want to see my gun? <laughs> my gun and my giant pants. <laughs> Poor Scott Bakula. Just that reaction of it's the very end of the movie and the villain has never had any contact with this person who's the main character. He's just so confused. Yeah. No, it actually is quite fun to watch. Yeah, this was a first time watch for me. I've actually seen different parts of it over and over again, but I've never like sat down and watched the the whole movie all, all the way through. Uh, rather enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I would say not as good as Nightbreed, obviously, but. Well, that's not fair. No, it's a completely different kind of movie, but. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, it is definitely the third best Clive Barker horror movie. <laughs> but yeah, that's Hellraiser, Nightbreed, and Lord of Illusions. I mean, come on. Right. See, I know a lot of people who would disagree with us, and they would say this is better than Nightbreed, but. I don't know. Yeah, I, I just can't agree with that. I don't know. I don't know because the the thing I would say about this movie is like, yeah, I liked it, but I remember the the only other time I've seen it start to finish was like back in like high school and I watched it with normal human beings, and fuck, they were just like, "What the hell is this?" Like the whole time they were just like, "What is going on? Why are we watching this?" And I'm like, "What are you talking about? Like he's gonna find out why the two big magicians are gonna no? You guys don't you guys don't find this interesting?" <laughs> So it was like one of those ones where I'm like, I think this just appeals to a specific market of horror fans who are interested in this type of thing. I'm, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure my my enjoyment of this film was originally affected by the uh, the catching a bad edit of a movie. So I think the first time I saw this, it may have been a TV edit. Oh yeah, and in, in which so all the good stuff was cut out. <laughs> You know well, I mean? see, yeah, because if you scaled this back and look at it as like more of a detective story, it turns into pretty standard like television level detective work of just like he has to break right. into the place and find which knob to turn to make the documents appear. And, you know, when you add in the, the cool things with guys like Magic Powers, all of a sudden it's a lot more fun to watch. Right. Right. And like I said, I just remember I remember the first time I watched it, not particularly liking it that much. But I feel like every subsequent time I've watched it, I've liked it even more. So, like, this time I watched it, I like it even more than the last time I watched it. Oh, that's good. I think, plus, part of it's probably because I can forgive certain things. Where, like, now I can look at the fact that, yeah, so I've got my weird Scott Bakula complaint. But my Scott Bakula complaint may completely just be bias. On my part, from the fact that Scott Bakula, no matter what the fuck he does with his entire career, is always going to be Quantum Leap guy. Like, yeah. sorry. So, sorry, you're Quantum Leap guy. That's what you get for being on a million seasons of a TV show. Five seasons? <laughs> it felt like that, a million. Wasn't he on that Star Trek show for just as long or longer? Yeah. And guess what? Doesn't fucking matter. He's still the quantum leap guy on the on the shitty Star Trek show. 
See, I always say Scott Becky is one of the best actors of our generation, and I feel like people think I'm joking, but I'm not. Like, I love Scott Bakula. Well, he's fucking really, awesome. I only know him from this and Quantum Leap, and the one episode of that Star Trek series that I've seen. <laughs> Which is the one where they made it canon that the Vulcans invented Velcro. He's in, uh... I need you guys to stop talking about that terrible Star Trek series. I never watched it. I'm not a Star it Trek person, it, so it, did, it didn't happen. Uh, it was a fever. He was in. He was in American Beauty. He was. Uh, oh yeah. He was in that Color Night movie with Bruce Willis. Oh, I haven't seen that in a long time. Wonder if that holds up. Probably. That's when the sexy thriller was popular. Yeah, I think you have to see Bruce Willis's penis in that movie. If memory serves again, you I haven't have seen to. It in a long time. Well, I don't think you, unless you just know exactly when it's coming to turn your head. Yes, in order to see the rest of the movie, you have to see that. <laughs> Motherfucking Scott Bakula. Uh, I would say all the so all the performances in this are solid, right? Yeah, not many complaints. Yeah, like I said, the. The Bakula thing is weird, but it's only weird because it's Scott Bakula, not because Scott Bakula is doing anything in particular. So it's certainly not his fault that you watched Quantum Leap. Yeah, it's not It's not his fault that I will endlessly judge him for being Quantum Leap getting. I mean, I will say I think all of the performances are kind of 90s performances, um, which are a little louder and more exaggerated than what we would expect from actors today. But that's just the era the film came out in. Uh, what did you guys think about the, the scene of the movie where they hang out at the Magic Castle for a little while? <laughs> as soon as they were walking up to it, I was like, ooh, Magic Castle. Yeah, I, I, it's super weird that he goes there and just has a dinner with a bunch of magicians and it's just him. Uh, and that one guy likes him because he insults the other guy, so he helps him break in later. So I don't I don't know if you guys know this, but entrance into the magic castles by like invitation only. You can't yeah. just like get in. That's what and, I that's what I told Amanda. I'm like, you have to be invited in there. You can't just walk in. <laughs> but I was talk I was listening to a podcast, uh John Hodgman. Do you guys know who John Hodgman is? Yeah. So John Hodgman tells this story about he got invited by a couple of these magicians he was hanging out with to go to the magic castle and he gets there and it turns out they have a dress code. Yep, and he was, yeah, he was wearing sneakers with his suit, and you know they were fresh, clean, brand new sneakers and stuff. But they wouldn't let him in because of that. So eventually, they had to go and like dig around in the lost and found and bring him out some great big oversized clown shoe sized fucking dress shoes for him to get in. <laughs> so he puts on the shows, the shoes, and he goes inside and he goes and let me tell you something. Everyone in there was dressed like a fucking idiot. <laughs> like, he was like, they all were dressed terribly and tacky, and it was awful. And I'm stuck wearing these great big stupid clown shoes because I can't wear my nice, clean, stylish sneakers. Well, first of all, who the fuck loses their like dress shoes at the Magic Castle? They end up in Lost and Found. I have no idea. Well, they were giant clown shoes. The guy was just leaving them there on purpose. His wife made him wear them. I don't. Well, there's there has always been the thing where they always say that rock stars want to be uh, magicians and magicians want to be rock stars. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm assuming that the odds of going in there and finding some famous magician absolutely smashed off their ass, losing their shoes is probably not not that far fetched. I don't know. You guys know more about the magic castle than I do. I, I know, know I really know about it because Neil Patrick Harris talks about it. Yeah. I just know it's shown up in like a few other things I've watched over the years. It's the only reason I know it's a real place. And thank God I know it's a real place because probably the first time I saw this, I thought it was ridiculous that they were going to a place like that. <laughs> now that I know it's real, it seems mildly less ridiculous. I do. I do love the fact that so their their argument is that within the magic castle there is the trick vault, and you go into the trick vault, and and it's just endless copies of every known illusion. And then there's also like the Necronomicon hidden. <laughs> yeah, where else would you put it? But if you step it's on the wrong line. thing, like knives shoot out to cut off your hands. It's a good line too, where he's like, "Be careful, there are going to be traps," and he says, "What kind of traps? I don't know, something hokey." <laughs> <laughs> I like the whole thing where they're like the they they fully kind of acknowledge the hokiness of the concept of magicians and the whole ridiculousness surrounding it even though this the magician who's the centerpiece of the story actually is magic I found that all very funny <laughs> right well, and the fact that that one magician's being a salty piss bitch and talking shit about the guy who can actually do magic. Yeah, I like Scott Bakula calling him out on his shit, too. And he's, like, storming off. It's like, nice accent, by the way. <laughs> what is that? What is that, Brooklyn? Hey, fuck you, man! <laughs> That's where Scott Bakula's charminess came into play, because instead of coming across as a dick, he came across as the good guy in that scene. <laughs> There's also in the Magic Castle, there's one of the most nonsensical scenes of all time where they break in and that weird zombie hologram thing pops up and is scaring the shit out of the guy. Scott Bakula looks over, sees the projector, and once again, they've broken into this building and they're trying to be quiet and unloads his pistol at the projector thing instead of just like walking over there and hitting it or covering yeah. it up or done anything just held his hand in front of it it's just a projector <laughs> right a hologram had it coming he he shoots it he nails it like right into the middle of the thing too which is like it reminded me of no holds barred when he throws that bar at that uh, <laughs> camera <laughs> so what's you guys's interpretation of the end of the movie they killed the bad guy everybody lived happily ever after except for all the dead people <laughs> but but did they oh, i don't know I took it through. I, I, I did not think much about this movie. I went with it the fun way, which is that oh. they killed the bad guy. But he's just down in that hole, right? So he could theoretically come back for the sequel. I took it that he was thrown into the center of the earth with all the molten uh, whatever. Yeah. Die. See, but but the hole, there's, so there's three things in the movie that point to that ending meaning something else, right? Okay. So... Uh, they they keep saying that Swan is the pilgrim, not this guy, and that somehow, therefore, Swan's going to be responsible for the end of the world. Then at one point in the movie, they make the whole speech about flesh as a prison. Yeah. And then at the end, that the evil sorcerer guy uses his last bit of power to strip away all the flesh from Swan's body. 
Mm-hmm. Which wouldn't that suggest that he just released the spirit of the pilgrim that's going to usher in the end of the world? Doesn't that mean the bad guy actually won and they just don't know it yet? Sure. Uh, apparently you paid way more attention than I did, so I'll say you're right. See, I feel like in a Clive Barker book, all that stuff is very important. I feel like in this movie, they threw the bad guy down a hole. And so I think possibly that maybe all that's there. And if they chose to interpret it that way, you could. But the movie doesn't kind of like lend itself to that level of deep thought. Partially because it's got Bakula in it. I mean, they even did the thing that as they were walking away, they did a flashback voiceover of the guy saying flesh is a prison. And it show the guy's body with no flesh on it anymore. But you could just interpret that as his, he's now free to whatever his, like he, his soul is now free. Right. Right. No oh, oh cause, prison. yeah. Cause that, cause that was the other thing when at the end, when Swan agrees to help him, he, he says, you know, I'm going to have to kill you at the end of it. Right. And Swan says, "Yeah, see, once once again, it all it all I don't know. It all figures into the fact that they actually completed whatever they were doing." There's, yeah, I, I can see how that interpretation's there. I'm not arguing with anything you're saying. I just don't feel like this movie lends itself to that level of like deep thought. So I don't plan to put that level of deep thought into it because I <laughs> want to enjoy the movie. Which, you, by, the, you, which I, by the the way, the short story is has very little to do actually do with the movie oh really yeah That's so swan dies and then uh harry damore is hired to watch over his body for a night which he's like this is ridiculous but he's getting paid tons of money to do it and uh essentially demons come to try to steal his corpse and harry damore has to fight them off pretty much the extent of it. I kind of want to see that, too. That sounds dope. I have no objection to that storyline, but it does not sound at all like it's even remotely close to the same thing. Yeah, it's very, very different. Uh, Anything else before we move on? I don't know. It's it's worth a watch. I I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's perfectly enjoyable. I'm not going to try to sell people on it being like the best movie ever or anything. No, but it was super fun to watch. Uh, I, I don't think there's really anything wrong with it, per se. I don't know why it has... It's another movie that I think has a negative reputation, and I'm not sure why. Well, I think the negative reputation of this one just comes from the fact that, if I remember right, it bombed. It did not do well at all. I have no recollection of it being in theaters. I only remember seeing it like on video shelves. Yeah, I remember it coming out, but I don't, you know, I don't have any recollection about how it did or anything. I was assuming it was a bomb because it seems like everything but Hellraiser for Barker didn't do very well, which is why he only directed three movies. But yeah, well, I don't think he. I don't know that he works well in a studio system. Like if he nowadays were with special effects being so much cheaper where he might be able to do some stuff independently it might suit him more thanks for calling the midnight drive-in no one is here to take your call for more info
info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. All right. So what has everybody watched? Uh, for the fact that we've been off for two weeks, not a lot. Uh, <laughs> I did watch all of Tiger King. Well, that was one of mine. So, yeah. Doug, did you watch Tiger King? I have not watched it yet. I know some stuff about the case in question. So, basically, for those of you listening that don't know what Tiger King is, uh, this was a docu-series in which a guy basically was trying to document uh, the weird inner circles of these people who run the tiger zoos around the United States, focusing specifically on three. Uh, and then over the course of the five years, shit got crazy. <laughs> it sure did. And apparently shit was crazy to begin with. And there are no heroes in this story. Just yeah. fucking, just everyone is such fucking garbage people. <laughs> I love how it ramps up too. like the first episode me and Amanda were watching and we're like, Okay, Joe Exotic, he's kind of a nutball, but I mean, look, I mean, he loves his tigers. He obviously takes care of them. The tigers love him. And, you know, that lady running down in Florida, she's got a nice little rescue going on down there. And <laughs> this Doc Antle, he's got, you know, he's he's got a nice little zoo thing going on. Everybody seems all right. And then within, like, four more episodes, you're just like, what the fuck is wrong with everybody? Yeah. They're, they're like, by the way, they're all cults. And you're like, they're not cults. And then they're like, they're cults. And you're like, oh, my God, they're cults. <laughs> I just think the craziest thing. So they, whenever they introduce uh, Carol, is it Bartlett? Is that her name? Uh, Carol something. Yeah, I think that's right. But, but they're trying to set her up as, you know, she runs a tiger rescue. She's very much different. She's, she's the PETA supporting... Carol Baskin. Baskin, thank you. And uh, But they do this great job of they'll run down something bad that the tiger zoos are doing, right? And they'll be like, this one's doing it, and this one's doing it worse. And you're like, oh, fuck. But then they kind of cut back, and they're like, and by the way, Carol Baskin, she's fucking doing it too. So... So fuck her. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, they're charging to see tigers. Yeah, she does that too. Oh, they've got these workers who are working for only a hundred dollars a week. Yeah, her entire staff are unpaid interns who get paid nothing to work psychotic hours. <laughs> yeah. And then every time they talk about her stuff, they're like, "We're a completely hands off. Nobody ever touches the animals." But every fucking picture you see is them touching the animals. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, and it's apparently weird, weird. weird uh, polygamist sex is a fucking thing in the tiger world. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fucking Joe exotics got two husbands and doc Antle apparently has a harem. Uh, yeah. And with that trigger warning for everybody, they don't outright state this in that documentary, but when they start going through his girlfriends, 
and how long they've worked at that park and how old they all appear to be. That dude's fucking kids. Most, most yeah. certainly. Yeah. I like how nobody wants to argue that point. No. Yeah. Yeah, huh. it's really, it's really weird. In the documentary, they completely, like, I think he's intentionally bringing your attention to it, but he glasses over it and he doesn't say, Doc Annals, you know, it's fucking 16-year-old girls. But that's clearly what the guy does. He clearly brings them in young and absolutely grooms them like a sexual predator and then brainwashes them and puts them into this weird cult mentality where they're working 18 to 20 hours a day. You know what I mean? With sleep deprivation and stuff to keep them under control. What's well, upsetting. Yeah. Yeah, what's the thing where they're counting down? Like, Doc Antle has, like, four girlfriends. Doc Antle has, like, 12 girlfriends. Doc Antle has 18 girlfriends. He's like, right. and then you get to the guy who's like, I don't give a fuck. Right. Who I would argue may be the only hero in this entire, in this entire documentary. Because he at least really seemed to care about what he was doing. Oh. Even though some bad shit happened. While he was present. I will tell you what, though, that last fucking episode where they're kind of showing where everybody is now, mm-hmm. when they got to that dude, I I just about cried over it because I was so upset. Because in the very first episode, he's talking about how he had substance abuse problems and that working at the zoos, what, you know, kept him on the straight and narrow because he just worked all the time. So he didn't think about, you know, doing stuff. And then they're interviewing him in, in his house, and you're like, he doesn't sound too good. And if you look in the background, there are empty vodka bottles and shit all over the counter, and he's clearly on something. And you're like, God damn it, this dude's life's falling apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God damn you, Joe Exotic. You've robbed us of our hero. Joe Exotic, who ran for president in 2016, by the way. That's how I heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> I was... <laughs> I was talking to somebody and they said, you know, if he ran this year, there's a chance he could win. And I was like, <laughs> if he was on the Democratic ticket against Trump, I would have to vote for him. <laughs> like, even now, even now, knowing what he did, you're like, yeah, but he doesn't, wanna, choice. he doesn't want to fuck his own daughter. So <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty hard to get over that hump. Yeah. Yeah, so I would highly encourage you to watch it, Doug, because it literally, each episode ends and you're like, well, obviously we're on the downhill slope. There's no way anything crazier could happen. And nope, it's it's an uphill battle the entire series. Yeah, like, apparently the guy who the movie Scarface is based on also has tigers. <laughs> and it's probably like the most reasonable person in the entire documentary concerning animals. He really is. <laughs> it's fucked up. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Let's see if I get to that one. Let's see how long we have off here. It's only six episodes, so it's, it's a pretty quick watch. Me and Amanda watched it all on Saturday. <laughs> <sighs> We sat down and I was like, oh, this is about those people who keep tigers and that guy who like got in trouble for all that stuff. I was like, we should watch this. And I got halfway through the first episode and I was like, this is going to consume my life. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. 
I can't believe how many fucking memes and shit there are already. People, it just blew up. I posted two of them today. The goddamn meat grinder. <laughs> oh, all right. Did you watch anything non Tiger King related? I did not. <laughs> That's it. That's that is it. I I like I I've been so busy with other stuff and yeah. I got nothing. What did you watch, Doug? Uh, that's a complicated question because I don't know where to cut off because I don't remember what we've talked about and what I've watched that uh, confused. I last time because last time I didn't go through the things I'd watched, right? No, because you just got up and left. I did have to get up and leave in the middle of the podcast last time twice. Uh, and I don't know if you listened to it, but we talked about how uh, Lando just probably gave you an uppercut and knocked you out so your kid beat your ass and that's why you couldn't come back to do the podcast it's not entirely true but not entirely he, he, false he just kept following me back out of his room and as as a toddler that means you beat your parents it's like there's no solution to that problem <laughs> wait i can just get up and like they can't stop me i can't just like i can keep i can put him back in there and he comes back out again. Then I could put him back in there. I could just about it. <laughs> There's no way around that. I come downstairs and try to record a podcast while he's screaming in the background. So that's not going to help. Uh, I don't know. I'm just going to pick a random starting point in my list of things I've seen then. Sure. Which is the uh, the documentary I watched right after watching No Holds Barred because I had Hulk Hogan on the brain called uh, Nobody Speak. Have you guys heard of this one? No. It's all about Hulk. It's all about Hulk Hogan's lawsuit against Gawker and that whole thing that went on. Are you, are you guys familiar oh, with that yeah. whole thing? Yeah. So basically, that yeah, that there was a tech billionaire paying for all of Hogan's legal fees so that he could basically bankrupt Gawker because the tech billionaire was mad at Gawker. Mm. Um, which is it's one of those super fucked up things because like right on the principle of it, you're like, well. Gawker published like very intimate footage of Hulk Hogan without his permission when he didn't even know it had been filmed. Yeah, they kind of deserve to get driven out of business for that. Like, I don't really feel bad for them. And then you're kind of like, yeah, but I hate the idea that some billionaire could just pick a like a publication that he doesn't like and just force them out of business because he feels like it. I don't like that idea either. So it's kind of like this whole thing where there's like no no good guy in it no bad guy in it you're just like oh this is fucking dumb and there's like some like at first you're like kind of on Hogan's side because you're like first of all he's Hogan and then secondly you're like yeah like they clearly have wronged him and they deserve to be sued over this and then you start to see some of the shady shit that they did where it's like like they Hogan's lawyers literally like you know if you've ever seen a lawsuit there's like a hundred fucking accusations in them all the time because they're it's like we're going to accuse you of everything we can think of so that hopefully one of these things will stick by the end of the lawsuit but then they started randomly dropping ones and you realize like you realize with the help of the documentarians that they ran they strategically dropped the accusations that if true would have caused Gawker to be covered by their insurance so by taking these accusations out now the insurance steps back and now Gawker's on the hook for all this money, not the insurance company. So it's like they're doing this just to drive them out of business and it's no longer about justice in any way. 
you're like, uh, that's slimy. <laughs> like that's, you know, that, that doesn't seem right. But then from a, like from a more human perspective, that, that'll be really interesting to wrestling fans is you get clips of Hulk Hogan's footage, like sitting on the stand, trying to explain to them that the person in the video isn't Hulk Hogan. That's Terry Bollea. That is a personal video that was never intended to be out there. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, well, like, you know, this is footage of you having sex, but here's clips of you on a radio show talking about your penis size or whatever. And he's like, that's not me talking about my penis size. That's Hulk Hogan talking about his penis size. And he starts going on and on about the difference between the size of penis of Terry Bollea and Hulk Hogan. Jesus. And it is something weird and surrealistic to watch. And it's so weird. It's, <laughs> but the thing is, you're like, as it's happening, you're kind of like, he's making really good points here. Like he's, a, he's a public character and he's playing that character in these interviews and you filmed him at a time when he was not in his public persona, when he was just being himself behind the scenes. And you, you know, obviously he was having sex with some other dude's wife and whatever else was going on there. But you're like, it becomes clear that you're like, yeah, they don't. There is a difference between filming somebody doing something public and something private. And it, it's weird. And the whole documentary is very kind of sympathetic to Gawker because of the the nature of what they're trying the message they're trying to get across which is that you shouldn't be allowed to just destroy media organizations because you don't like what they produce uh, which is a solid point but it's it's a weird case it's all very fucked up I, I'd recommend watching it if you're like interested in that type of a discussion yeah so, sounds interesting I'll have to look it up yeah it's, it's on it's on Netflix here I don't know I'm not sure about there but I think it actually is listed as Netflix, Netflix original here, which means it may or may not have actually been produced by them, or they could have just bought it, put their name on it. And then I wanted something equally as serious, so I watched uh, I watched Rampage, which is <laughs> here's the thing: it, the plot of the movie Rampage, as best as I can tell it, is that there's this like brother sister I think they are that run this big company who are huge fans of the video game Rampage so much so that they decided to try and recreate it and they knew enough not to do their experiments on Earth because that wouldn't be safe so they were doing their experiments on a space station but when things go awry and the some of the stuff crashes to Earth that's when it creates the giant animals that we know from the video game, the big uh, monkey, the wolf, and then they pretend that the lizard alligator thing isn't there, but we all know it is because we know there was three things at the beginning and we played the video game in the 80s, right? <laughs> of course. But it's it's super weird because, like, I mean, I mean, from a plot perspective, this movie is just a paint-by-numbers action movie. It literally comes down to, like, a, a four-way fist fight. The wolf and the... Uh, lizard thing against the giant gorilla and the rock right yeah so whatever that is what it is the special effects look pretty good the fights are kind of fun if you feel like turning your brain off and just watching mindless action all that stuff's fun but the part i couldn't get my head around is the fact that these evil fucking siblings have an arcade 
game of Rampage in their office. And the project that they're running is called the Rampage Project. So the plot of this movie is that they liked the video game so much that they were trying to create giant monsters. And then they got sheerly lucky enough to create the same three that are in the game. <laughs> and that's fucking weird. That's that's the level of overthinking right there. I think maybe it is. But why would the video game be like it's it's a huge coincidence that the video game is in their office and that the monsters created are the same ones that are in the video game. <laughs> Yeah. But you also get to watch The Rock like do sign language with a giant monkey. So if that's something that interests you. <laughs> I have it on Voodoo, but I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. Like I say, I was I was looking for something mindless and I found something mindless and I enjoyed it. Yeah. But on that level of just look at the stuff blowing up. <laughs> hey look, he's talking to the monkey again. <laughs> can't wait till the rock punches that wolf i know he's gonna punch that yeah there it is <laughs> does does somebody come running in halfway through the movie and put quarters in and like fuck your whole game up <laughs> <laughs> no but i wish it had that would be more accurate to the <laughs> the game like god damn it <laughs> grab the other controller what's the uh first city that start the, the game starts out in i don't remember Peoria, illinois Boom. Oh, really? Yep. They mentioned Puree, actually, I believe, in this, because the monsters are on their way to Chicago. There you go. So, I remember thinking that and thinking I should remember that, but then I didn't. <laughs> uh, just to prove that that's not the kind of movie I sit around watching, I'll mention that I saw a movie called uh, Sweet Virginia, which is... Uh, it's one of those simple little dramas uh, with a bit of an action twist to it. So there's the movie starts with these guys are like in a closed restaurant after hours. Somebody comes in and kills them. And, you know, soon enough in the movie, we're given the, the first twist, which is that the one guy's wife had hired the hitman to kill him. And the other two guys were more or less just collateral damage. And we get sort of the, so the Hitman character is staying at a hotel, which is run by John Bernthal, who obviously filmed this while he was making Punisher because he's got the big beard coming in that he had at the beginning of season two of Punisher. Um, and he's they sort of become friends because they're both from Virginia. Now one's running this hotel and one's staying there. And they and uh, but we also learn that John Bernthal's character is intermingled in the families of the people who have been killed because it is this small town, right? And so they're just kind of on this collision course with each other with a bunch of little weird little twists happening back and forth. Um, pretty simple story. Pretty basic. There's, you know, a couple of little action moments here and there, but mostly it's just people talking. Uh, really solid performance from John Bernthal. So it's one I would recommend if you're in the mood for that sort of thing. It's slow paced minimal level of violence but the violence is good when it happens and uh, yeah lots of that sort of cat and mouse thing where two guys are talking and I know that you killed you know his whatever whatever I won't spoil every little detail of the relationships but you two don't know that that happened right so that's kind of kind of fun yeah and I've 
this is where I'm, you're going to realize I'm all over the place on this one because the next <laughs> thing I'm speaking of kind of fun, I did binge Life's Too Short because we had oh, talked man. about it. And it got a is, couple episodes left. It is fucking everything I wanted it to be, man. It is just it, it was exactly how I hoped it would turn out. I love the performance from Warwick Davis. I love that he's just willing to openly mock himself like both because of like the you know the whole being a midget thing but also the whole like <laughs> the, just every other aspect of his personality too which I assume is not accurate because if it was then he wouldn't agree to do this sort of thing <laughs> but I love how he's just this vain character throughout the whole thing he thinks everybody should know who he is and no one does <laughs> so like I'm trying to think of how far you would have gotten Brian like have you, have you seen like the Johnny Depp episode yet Oh yeah, I saw the Johnny Depp one. That one had me dying. Just what would you look like if you got struck by lightning? (laughs) 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 What if Johnny Depp put him in a toilet? And Warwick Davis just breaks the fourth wall and looks into the camera. Like, the fuck is going on now? (laughs) The whole the whole thing about Tim Allen's one of the funniest fucking things. I don't know who wrote that, but it's the best joke ever. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I think the lunacy of the concept that Johnny Depp and Tim Allen are friends is almost crazy. Like, it's just it's that absolute batshit level of crazy where you're like, no, they're not. I don't believe it. Well, and not just not just friends. Like, Johnny Depp's just the hugest Tim Allen fan. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's so weird. He is a national treasure. <laughs> I think I got through episode three. Okay, so the whole like the whole finale thing too ends up being is it the whole like special episode at the end? That's uh, Val Kilmer shows up, and nice. like I'll, I won't spoil anything. I'll just say Val Kilmer shows up and he presents to Warwick Davis the idea that well, if you and I got together, we could probably get Willow two made. Right, that's the whole plot, and it is fucking nuts what goes on from that point forward. And I can't believe that Val Kilmer was willing to make fun of himself the way he does. <laughs> like, okay, I got to spoil this one part for you because you'll love it, Brian, when you get yeah, to it. But I, I got it. it's every time Val Kilmer enters a room, he's got a thing he does where he's like, wait, wait. And he puts on a Batman mask and he walks in and he's like, guess who's under the mask? And no one can ever guess is Val Kilmer. <laughs> they're all doing like, oh, guessing all the other Batman. <laughs> <They're> all, <laughs> and they all, they all eventually go, it can't be Adam West. And then he's like, Adam West is like 85. And that keeps happening. <laughs> but then you get to the point where they're like in a restaurant and like Val Kilmer's just at one of the other tables with his Batman mask on going, you'll never guess. <laughs> it's amazing. Ah. <laughs> uh. What what did you guys think of the the Liam Neeson bit? Amazing, I, yeah. I mean, I knew it was coming because, yeah. but <laughs> and it only works so well because he compl- plays it completely straight. Dead, that deadpan, serious expression yeah. on his face the entire time. He just keeps bringing it up. Yeah, like if he was trying to be funny with it, it w- it wouldn't be that funny. But no. the fact that he's just straight up, like, easily could also do the. You know, I don't know who you are, but I have a special set of skills. It's like the exact I got AIDS like... from an African prostitute. 
One of my favorite parts of that whole thing is when he comes in and he's like, knock, knock, and the doctor reaches your face and is like, oh, good to see you again. And Liam Neeson's immediate response is, this is my first time here. He's like, oh, I thought maybe if you, you would have a history with the medical profession. I don't know. <laughs> and when he, he, was, well, he, was, he was a florist, and Ricky Gervais comes in, and, and he comes in, ding, ding. It's like, store's closed. It's like, what the fuck? It has, it has to be open for the sake of the bit. <laughs> oh, my God. It was so funny. Oh. The, the whole thing where Warwick Davis is trying to get his one statue back, but he won't let his wife get it off the top shelf for him, or his ex-wife. <laughs> he spends 10, I don't know how long it is, but it seems like he spends 10 minutes trying to climb that shelf to get it back. <laughs> and you just see him dangling there, and he's just falling off of it over and over again. And then she's like, can I just, can I just get it? Can I, can I put it on a lower shelf? And he's like, well... Were, were you planning to put it on the lower shelf anyway? And she's like, yeah, I was, I was planning on moving it down there anyway. <laughs> it's like, well, if you're moving it anyway, then just go ahead and move it, and then I'll grab it myself. Have you, Doug, have you made it to the episode where he's asked to be the guest of honor at the wedding? Yep. And they put him in the teddy bear. Oh, Jesus <laughs> bear. Christ. <laughs> The thing is, it's like you feel so bad for him in that episode because they're like, well, obviously we expected you to be in the uniform. He's like, why would I just carry around a uniform? <laughs> it's like, why would I be with? They, they just stuff him in that thing. Oh. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. I can't remember. What's the actor's name? The guy that was in the R2-D2 suit. Uh, God damn it. Kenny Baker. Kenny Baker. Because that R2 is going by and he's like, it's not like it's Kenny Baker in there. And they're like. No, that is Kenny Baker in there. And he's like, oh, really? Hey, Kenny. And he's just like, <laughs> he's just like waving at this R2-D2 going by. <laughs> you got to assume him and Kenny Baker were friends. I don't know that for sure, but just, a, just such a fucking random ass joke. <sighs> what about when he's trying to get into that restaurant? No, we're never just doing the what about this part, but whatever. <laughs> Uh, what about the part where he's trying to get in that restaurant and the uh, maitre d' is like, oh, your date's over there. And he's like, well, wait a minute. Why did you assume I'm here to meet her just because she's a dwarf and I'm a dwarf? And he's like, well, there's only two women in there waiting for people. So obviously that one's the one you're here for. And he's like, no, I, I could get that other girl, too. <laughs> and he's like, well, who are you here to see? Well, her, but you shouldn't be assuming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the whole thing is very, very funny to me. And there's like multiple times where somebody he like he's like you're not supposed to say midget, and then somebody he goes why not, and then finally he goes I don't know, <laughs> like I don't know why you're not supposed to say it, but you're not supposed to say it, so stop. <laughs> I love, I love the recurring joke of every time they talk to one of his people who works for his talent agency that they basically all keep saying, well he takes all the good roles, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he just gives us whatever he doesn't want to do. I did like when he had to, he had to go pick up the one trucking guy and the guy had stolen a little girl's bike and he's like it's okay I can get home on this it's like oh god <sighs> wish I was friends with more drunk midgets that's all I know <sighs> I don't watch that again <laughs> we'll discuss this again next week after I've rewatched it 
glad I'm spreading the love of that show because it was so good. It's so sad that it was only one season. Yeah, but it might be perfect, right? Because where can it go from there? Yeah, some shows like just have the perfect run. You don't want to ruin it. Like the TV show Space, like it's only got two seasons, but that's like almost like I would say 14 perfect episodes. There's one that I was kind of like, yeah, that's kind of a filler episode but so yeah and kind of like oh i wish there was more but there are 14 perfect episodes so maybe you don't want to ruin that yeah speaking of which did you see the simon Pegg and nick frost doing their uh oh, of course. please stay home routine that was pretty funny <laughs> i like that <laughs> i liked it quite a bit but uh anyways i probably watched some more stuff didn't i probably uh Okay, if you guys liked that um, that tiger show that you keep talking about, <laughs> I watched a 2001 movie called uh, Bully. Have you guys heard of this one or seen it? It's a Larry Clark movie. I've seen parts of it, but I never watched the yeah. whole thing. So it's a true story about these really dumb people who decide to commit a murder. <laughs> And it's it's one of those stories where you like you wouldn't believe it was true, but I, I remember back in the day, like I did some research and found out it's pretty accurate. Um, so basically, I mean, the plot is just this one, this one of the idiots is like tormenting some of the other idiots, um, so they decide to kill him. Like it's literally like a bunch of like high school dropouts and shit who are just too stupid to understand that you could just stop being friends with someone. So instead of doing that, they just decide to, they decide they're going to kill him and they pull it off but it's just the most incompetent group of people you can imagine <laughs> that are trying to put this together and it's at times downright entertaining um, so the level of stupid of these people is such that after the murders committed they don't understand that the people who were there that helped plan it that put the team together <laughs> could also be charged with something they, they don't get they don't understand that <laughs> so they're literally like don't worry you got nothing to worry about worst thing they could do is say you were like a witness you can't really get in trouble for that and it's like and then it cuts to five minutes later they're doing the closing credits going yeah this person got 40 years in jail because <laughs> <laughs> they helped plan a murder and got this group of people together who actually committed the physical act <laughs> like yeah you, you go to jail for that sort of thing so it's a, uh, I don't know. If you like stupid people committing crimes, it's a pretty good movie. It is a Larry Clark movie, so get ready for lots of unnecessary nudity and inappropriate crotch shots of eighteen-year-old girls. But that just comes to the territory, I guess, when you watch his movies. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's, it's a well-made movie, but I can see how it would make certain people uncomfortable because of that element. Uh, and then the other thing I watched a little more mainstream just finished it before we started recording uh, was season one of Picard the Star Trek series so good so, yeah I I really liked it I'm not much of a Star Trek guy um, like I said I've seen I've probably seen you know upwards of half of the next generation I'm sure at some point I've seen all of the original series virtually none of Voyager or that one with Scott Bakula whose name I don't remember 
so you know like i'm not i'm not a big star trek guy but i really got into this one um it's very much not a science fiction story right like it's a story about human beings and interactions and it could just it could really just be set in the normal world but they've chosen to set it in the science fi- science fiction world which is the kind of sci-fi i like where the sci-fi is the environment more so than the story um i don't know i don't want to get too spoilery on it because i imagine a lot of people haven't seen it the i know the last episode just came available today for me so i imagine there's a lot of other people in that same scenario but you liked it too Noah. oh yeah yeah it's real good have you seen all of it or yeah the only thing i'm sad about is uh they kind of went with the new darker thing i kind of miss star trek being this uh utopian you know currencyless uh uh, you know, super communist future, basically, which yeah. I kind of always dug. And now it's always, you know, sad and it's always war and it's always all that kind of stuff. And it's like, nah. But, yeah. but the show's really good in general. I mean, that's just my preference. That's a complaint. So that's not such a big deal. Yeah. And again, like for me, not being a, any kind of Trekkie at all, it's, I almost view this as standalone. So. I know in theory that there's a lot of history to this character, but I don't know who all the, like all the next gen people that show up, I know who they are, but that's about it. Um, so yeah, I liked it a lot. I thought maybe the ending felt a little rushed. Like the climax kind of happens very quickly. Um, but what do you do? I don't, I don't know what I would have taken out in order to expand that last couple of episodes. Unless you could have just made them longer or something. Yeah, I don't know. I like all. I almost would prefer them do a spinoff show that's just about Seven of Nine. And I'd sure. be happy. Yeah, her whole like I liked her whole character. That weird vigilante character that she is. Um, I can get behind all of that, no problem. So, um, yeah. Did, I mean, you, I, uh, did you mention that I think? They put it up for free for everybody because of coronavirus. I did not mention that. I did not know that. So seems like I had read that somewhere that they put up the entire uh, run of it for free. But. So for, so here it's available for streaming purposes through a service called Crave, which is owned oh, okay. by Bell. It's owned by Bell Canada, which they will not be putting things up for free because they're fucking shitheads. Ah, uh, and I will use this opportunity to bash their streaming service it's not very good and i am watching it because i have it free for a couple of months through my like cell phone provider but i will not be paying for it i will be getting rid of it even though i've liked the content that i've seen on it so far it's just not a very well-run service so a little bit of lag time here and there and there's not apps available for very many things and things like that. So like if you're a streaming service and you want to be mainstream, there ought to be an app for Roku TVs. If there's not, then go fuck yourself. Yeah. So, yeah, it seems like I read that CBS direct CBS all access. That's what it is. I think they just made it free for everybody, but okay. But I, I mean, I think I saw a headline. I didn't double check, but if it is free, I might end up checking it out. I'm not, 
a huge Trekkie, like you mentioned, but I did watch a handful of Next Generation stuff, and because of uh, the job I had where basically I was paid to watch TV and make sure it ran properly, we used to air reruns of uh, Voyager, so. Okay. Which one was Voyager? Uh, the one where they're lost outside of whatever quadrant they're supposed to be, and they're just trying to get home. Seven, okay, of nine, okay. seven of nine is from that one. I don't know that I ever actually saw that show. Yeah. Anyways, the other thing I should mention is like, as much as I'm sitting here praising Picard, I am a full on sucker for these like old man gets one more kick at the bucket type storylines. And that's exactly what this is. It's literally like he's wasting away on his vineyard, having quit the, uh, having quit Starfleet. You know, Starfleet. Yeah. So the idea is he's quit Starfleet 14 years earlier because of this whole incident that occurred. Um, he didn't like the way they were handling it. And he uh, kind of has gets sucked back in for one more round of action. So like that's that's the thing I'm always a fan of. Like My favorite comic books are the ones that are set in some future where the character is retired, has to come back. You know, my favorite. I, I really enjoy movies that do that. So... Anytime you can pull that off, I like it, and they did a good job of it here. They also, I thought, were really smart to, very early on, they show, like, Picard walking with a cane a couple of times and stuff. Like, he's fucking old. He's not going to be an action star throughout this. Don't expect that, and you don't get it, which is good. So, and naturally, of course, Patrick Stewart's great, because he just is when he embodies a character, he's just always good at what he does. So, uh, okay, here it is. Uh, apparently if you, uh, sign up for a CBS all access account, but that's just the basic account. You don't pay for anything. Uh, but if you use the promo code gift during the sign up process, they'll get access to star Trek Picard without having to subscribe to the service. Okay. So that's good. A lot of companies are really stepping it up at this time, and I know it's all marketing-based, and none of them are, you know, quote-unquote, being nice or doing the right thing. They're just marketing, but glad they're doing it. It's good PR, but at least it works out for people. Then you have nice people like uh, Neil Gaiman, who gave LeVar Burton a blanket uh, permission to read any any of his stories for free during the... uh, thing because LeVar Burton was looking to do a uh, I don't know sort of like a streaming thing where he reads stories and he was having trouble finding stuff so it's pretty awesome yeah uh, anything else that would be it for me uh, let's see I watched a couple of things nothing super deep worth getting into uh, I watched uh, the return of swamp thing okay <laughs> Not great. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say yeah, because it was not very good. Yeah. Uh, of course, Jim Wynarski film. And, yeah, I don't know. There's a couple moments where some of the, like, the mutant monster stuff looked pretty cool. But overall, I was just like, this is terrible. So, do not recommend. I don't think it's good, but I think I'd probably enjoy watching it. I haven't seen it in years and years and yeah. years. 
think, I mean, I was watching it at home by myself during, you know, while I was working during this quarantine. I'm sure if I had, like, a couple people over and had some drinks and stuff, like, it would be a fun experience, but. Yeah, yeah well, six months, you can start having people over again and see if you want to rewatch it. <laughs> um, so I decided I need something better on, so I turned on Tremors. And that movie still fucking rocks, of course. Yeah. It's not a, uh, I don't think that's a, uh, uh, crazy statement. It's nothing controversial about that. Yeah. Yeah, No no controversial. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. It holds up really well. Still love Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward in this movie. Still bummed. They didn't move ahead with the Kevin Bacon starring tremor series that they were trying to do. I don't understand how that can, possibly not have moved forward yeah it's insanity especially when they're getting ready to make like what, what was it tremor seven michael yeah. gross and jamie kennedy again it's like come on kevin bacon wants to come back people yeah i wonder which one's cheaper kevin bacon or <laughs> jamie kennedy <laughs> yeah speaking of jamie kennedy <laughs> i watched a movie called trick by patrick lucier who, okay. He directed the My Bloody Valentine remake and Drive Angry, which I love Drive Angry. Uh, so this one uh, opens on like a party where they're playing like sort of like a spin the bottle type situation. And uh, it's a Halloween party, so everybody's got costumes on. This one, uh, this one guy who has this weird pumpkin mask on goes crazy, starts stabbing everybody and then uh, he gets taken to the hospital and he won't talk and then he ends up escaping and the police shoot him like three times and he falls into the river shockingly, they never find his body. And then every year for the next like six years, someone in a Halloween mask shows up and starts murdering people and then disappears I think it's the same guy. And, you know, we concentrate specifically on the last year where they're trying to stop him and everything. And starts off pretty good. I mean, I'm a sucker for slasher stories like that. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Jamie Kennedy played a doctor in this, by the way. That was the connection. Um, okay. Which is hilarious because he's like a doctor with like a long with like long hair pulled back in a ponytail and I'm like I don't think real doctors do that but whatever um so yeah it's pretty good the reveal at the end is kind of like I don't know I thought it was a little dumb so that kind of bummed me out but leading up to it I enjoyed it so I don't know if you're looking for interesting slasher watch um, I'd say it's it's good. Uh, I would not say it's great, and you may or may not like the ending. So, All right. I don't know. Just the ending kind of dumped the whole thing for me, which is a bummer. Then me and Amanda watched Toy Story four. It's Toy Story. I enjoyed it, but you know, you're going to get out of get, you're going to get out of it what you get out of Toy Story. So, it's fun. Decent enough story. They do what they do very well. Uh, that's all the movies I watched. I guess the last thing I watched 
since we were talking about wrestling earlier, uh, the dark side of the ring has started up again. And oh, I watched this too. Yeah, the first two episodes released like together, and it's a two-parter based on the Chris Benoit murder suicide. And oof, it's a uh, sad, sad watch. It's a tough one, yeah. Yeah. And uh, as wrestling fans, we kind of knew a lot of the this, you know, kind of what happened and everything. So we knew it was going to be sad, but man, listening to people who were there, like Chavo and Chris Jericho and stuff, it's just, it's sad. Well, I wasn't expecting all the Eddie Guerrero stuff too, which I realize I realize it's all part of the story, and I Mm. I think it's respectful that they tell those two stories together but yeah damn. yeah it's a lot yeah yeah and especially learning all the stuff that happened like with the family and stuff like afterwards oh like the oldest yeah. son the benoit had another marriage he all the stuff he had to deal with and then his wife's sister all the stuff that she sort of had to deal with afterwards and yeah it's it's uh it's not an uplifting story. It's not at all. It's amazing though. Like the the whole run is like just incredible to watch, but it's it's very sad. It's really it's one of those ones too where you're like there's two really easy answers. Like the, you could easily make the argument that okay, this guy did this terrible thing mm-hmm. and killed these people. And then you look at it and go it's it's impossible to ignore the impact of like the chair shots to the head and uh when somebody brings up the fact that there have only been like three people who have used the flying head punt as a finisher in all time and it's like they all ended up fucked up as a result of it it's like how do you not see that connection it's it's weird it's like how do you how do you process when somebody does something terrible but it's really obvious that their brain was not functioning the way it's supposed to. And the reasons are right kind of there. Like it's not really up for debate, you know, it's not, it's, it's a weird thing. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of weird to see some of the people who are in wrestling that are just hugely defensive of it, that are just, they don't want to talk about that element of it. They just want to be like, yeah, you did this terrible thing. And, that's what bad people do. They do terrible things and there you go. It's over. And you're like, no, there's a lot more to talk about here. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of combination of things, but I mean, the stuff to the head is really that sort of, I think like if you eliminate that, you eliminate like the entire, yeah. the entire problem. Like all the other if stuff could at- probably clear itself up without this part of it. Exactly. Right. Like, and it's, if you look at, there's a, a long history of suicide amongst people who have taken repeated blows to the head. It's something happens. I don't know it. I don't, I don't understand what happens, but something happens and it's like, it's fucked up and you don't want to sit there and try to, then you want to sit there and try to justify what happened and you're like, well, I don't want to justify what happened, but you do want to explain what happened and it's the whole thing because there's that weird moment too where like Chris Jericho gets really defensive and he's like you know what I mean like I'm not trying to glorify anything here I'm trying to t- 
talk about this guy that was my friend for years, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. it's all fucked up. Yeah, which I, I have heard a lot of people, like, sort of say that, where it's just like, look, I'm not not glorifying what he did but i mean he was a big part of my life and i can't think of him as just a murderer like he was my yeah. friend too and all this stuff so and it's it's like say it gets down to that point where you're like if you if you get rid of those hits to the head this probably doesn't happen it doesn't play out this way anyway mm-hmm. and it's impossible to know that for sure but yeah you know there have been there have been a number of like NHL enforcers and boxers, like all that stuff, right? And it's like they when they try to blame it on steroids, I'm like, this this isn't a steroids issue, I don't think. Like I'm not I don't condone the use of steroids. I think it's a bad idea to get involved in steroids, but I don't think this is a result of steroid use. This was to me this isn't a like a roid rage incident. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's what I, because like Amanda was watching it with me, and I'm like, I remember at the time, like being so pissed off that every time I would turn the TV on, it would be the, the roid, roid rage, murder, or whatever. And I'm like, that, that is not it. No. Like, that's definitely not what this was. This was something completely different. Yeah, I mean, ro- steroids are not a good part of it, but no. You t- again, no. you take out the, the brain stuff, then all that other stuff, I think, would, go away so yeah and it raises all these weird legal questions too of like like then so who's accountable for what happened then like obviously he's partially accountable but if somebody else fucked up his brain like how how do you not say that they're partially accountable as well I, I don't know yeah I thought it was interesting they touched a little bit on the uh, sort of what WWE ended up doing, where they basically just tried to erase him from history as much as possible. Yeah, I uh, would like to see them maybe talk about that a little bit more. But I mean. well, I I'd even like to see. Okay, because from my understanding is, if you have WWE Network, you can now go in and watch the old Benoit matches, where at one point you couldn't. Yeah, so it sort of feels like they're completely happy now to profit off of this guy's legacy as long as nobody kind of brings up this part of it. Yeah. That's what it seems like. I mean, they still don't talk about him. Like there'll never be like a documentary about him or something on there, but it's basically like, okay, well this is, we're showing the product as it was, even though there are still a few minor tweaks I've heard that they've edited and stuff, but nothing like super major. But, um, you know, you can still go in and watch matches and everything, but they don't don't condone them. And they always put that warning up that wrestlers' private lives or their private lives have nothing to do with WWE, blah, 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 blah. So. Do they still blur out the, uh, wherever it used to say WWF because they're not allowed to show that? Or do they finally strike um, a deal where they don't have to do that? <laughs> Well, they eventually struck a deal where they don't have to do that, but then I can't remember if they left the footage that they already did that way or if they um, got the original footage back out. I don't remember, but it doesn't matter. I don't really watch a lot of like old, yeah, I don't watch a lot of old Raws or anything at the moment, so 
They're uh, one of the companies that is putting stuff up for free, though. If people are wondering, apparently you can get everything on there for free right now. Yeah, okay. All the old stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not so, going to watch it. Cause... Um, but yeah, Dark Side of the Ring. I'm excited. Next week is The Life and Crimes of New Jack. And if anybody knows who New Jack is, oh. he is fucking insane. So, it should be an interesting episode. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I didn't know that's what was coming next. Yeah, should be, should be, should be, I don't know. It's, it could be a complete nightmare. I know that he's in it. Like, they talked to him, so. All right. Well, I don't think he's particularly ashamed. Weren't most of his oh, crimes no. things that he did before he got famous? And... Oh, no, he's I... done some stuff inside the ring that I know, I know has been... Horrible. There was, oh, yeah. uh, what do they call it, the mass transit incident? Like that yeah. super young wrestler who had no idea what he was doing went in there. And, like, that was partially that kid's problem, too. But it's just like. Well, that was, yeah. That, that kid's dad should have gone to jail for that. Yeah. So, yeah, should be interesting. I'm excited it's back. It's fascinating stuff when they hit on a uh, good topic. Yeah. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Um, all right, Doug, why don't you tell us what we're watching next week? Because uh, well, I'm still trying to decide. Because <laughs> I, I feel like we have to do a Stuart Gordon movie. The only one left on our uh, list here is Edmund and Falling Down is what we teamed that up with. So I guess that's what we're doing. Um, um, we don't have to go by the list. We could just come up with two other Stuart Gordon movies if you want. No, we have, we have to go by the list. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> we've been sticklers up to this point. Exactly. I don't know. I feel like we're supposed to go by the list. Plus, I already picked them. So. Okay. Once you say it out loud, that's what we're doing. All right. So, so Edmund and Falling Down. Yep. Two, two movies about... Uh, spoiled white guys snapping and going up going nuts <laughs> you know completely appropriate for modern society nobody will have a problem with that right <laughs> yeah I've actually never seen either one so oh really yeah. you've never seen Falling Down no I always wanted to and then just never got around to watching it I said, it's a, that's a random one to have not seen for being a film fan yeah I remember when it came out I thought it looked interesting and I'm like, oh, I need to see that someday. And I just never got around to watching it. I remember the first time I, when I got out of college and I got my first job, there was one boss that sat off in the corner and he always wore short sleeve white shirt with a tie. And I was always like, I don't trust that guy. He reminds me too much of the guy from Falling Down. <laughs> I'm never going to like him and he is never going to like me. And I can tell already. And I was 100% right. Just so we're clear. Do you have flat top, wear glasses? <laughs> He only wore glasses sometimes, and I don't, it wasn't quite a flat top, but it was close enough. I didn't like it. Maybe a custom seemed shifty. <laughs> if you wear a tie with short sleeves, you're probably not going to get along. Oh, but come on. The Bobs, or at least one of the Bobs, wore it in office space. Yeah, I didn't like anybody in that movie, just so we're clear. <laughs> okay. I, lo- I love the movie Office Space, but only because it accurately depicts how horrible everybody in every office is. And you got like, the uh, 
the old school wrestler, the IRS. Oh, yeah. Because he was everybody's favorite back in the day. What a brilliant <laughs> idea. An, an accounting-based wrestler. Can't believe that didn't take off more. <laughs> Weren't a whole bunch of those. Hey, it worked for him. He was around for a while. I know. That's more a criticism of our society than it is a compliment towards him. <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah. Apparently when, uh, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but WWE, or F at the time, didn't come to town here in Peoria for a long time because the Nasty Boys got in a, like a street fight, like a literal street fight with two guys. Of course they and did. the Nasty Boys got their ass beat. And uh, the rumor was, I don't know if it's true, that uh, IRS was with them and he was in the car. And he just locked all the doors and sat in the car and didn't come out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's situations like that where um, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Like, should I go get my ass beat, too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always thought that was pretty awesome. Just thinking about him and his little... Because, I mean, he obviously wasn't in his wrestling clothes, but I mean, <laughs> just having, like, a short, short sleeve shirt button up with the tie suspenders sitting in the car like nah just locking the door I was, I was gonna say you just see him staring and this the window slowly goes up just... <laughs> 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 uh, been watching any wrestling lately Doug it's very awkward I have not I've seen a couple of clips just because I, I read that they were doing it with uh, with no fans I didn't yeah looks super weird to me and it makes me feel uncomfortable yeah it's awkward I watched the clip online of Stone Cold coming out and doing that speech and yeah and stuff it's, I don't I couldn't even I was like oh this makes me anxious I can't because yeah, well, it's weird it's weird seeing someone play to a crowd that doesn't exist yeah it was weird because the first couple shows like WWE was doing that where they're just like, nah, we're just going to pretend there's fans here. So people will still play to the crowd and all that stuff. I'm like, this is weird. But then the first AEW show hit where there was no audience and they actually were smart and changed their hard camera so that it was facing like the uh, entrance ramp and they shortened the ramp up. So it was really close to the ring. So wrestlers would come out and then they had wrestlers who were not wrestling sitting like in the audience ringside like cheering and booing and stuff i'm like oh this actually like works like that's actually a better idea yeah at least give some like energy to ringside but then uh the second week apparently they they had to couldn't be uh more than 10 people like in a group so they weren't they weren't able to put the rest of the yeah, but the funny up. thing is, WWE just did the show, like, you know, regular, like I said, just without fans. And then AEW did the thing where they changed their hard camera to face the stage so you don't really see empty seats. And then the wrestlers just wrestle. Wouldn't you know, at the very next WWE event, they changed their camera set up to the exact same thing. Really? Yeah. You think they wouldn't want to do that just to not... Like, you know wrestling fans are going to notice that, right? Yeah. 
It's just, I was like, uh huh. So somebody who says they don't pay attention to AEW is a big fat liar. They obviously do. Yeah. I will say, speaking of AEW, I did watch a couple of Jake the Snake promos. Now that oh, yeah. they've got him with a mic in his hand again, oh, man, he yeah. still got it. Yep. He's just, he's just still got it. Still one and of the best minds in wrestling ever. Yeah. So. I, yeah. I, uh, they're smart. They're bringing in all these old wrestlers to be like managers and stuff. Well, that's and, what you do. That used yeah. to be the obvious thing to do. And I'm kind of surprised WWF wouldn't bring in Jake the Snake, right? Yeah. And then you just have them hanging out with the younger wrestlers and they can just teach them stuff and everything yeah. works for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Jake's stuff is still fantastic. Yeah, that I guess I don't know if it was his first appearance or whatever, where he actually came out to the ring and he was yelling at yeah. Cody. I think that was his first just, appearance. When when he ended it, when he's like, "I never turn my back on somebody I trust, and I never or on somebody I fear, and I don't turn my back on somebody I respect." Then he just turns back on the guy, tosses the mic over his shoulder. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, "Fuck, he nailed it. He just nailed it." <laughs> No wonder I liked wrestling in the 80s when that guy was famous. Yeah. He's so good. He did. He did another, like, taped one. Uh, yeah, I watched that, too, I think. Yeah, where he's, like, sitting by a bonfire or whatever and just, like, yeah. rattles off some creepy shit and then get up and walks away. I'm like, Jesus Christ. It's smart. Yep. Um, I don't know. Anybody have anything funny? Thing, anything funny to say to wrap us up? No. No, you think yeah. we would have come up with something? We had two weeks, but yeah, I got, I got nothing. Yeah. Are you working from home yet, Doug? Or you still got to go to your office. <laughs> I'm getting paid to stay home and not work. You son of a bitch! <laughs> I was trying not to bring I, I that up gonna, earlier. I was going to say, that, talking about it. Yeah, your government sending you guys two thousand a month, right? Not me. My my situation's a little different, but right, I, right. My work has said like like they're trying to figure out how to get us to work from home, and I'm like, well, I can't really do my job without a lot of interacting with the public. And they're like, oh yeah, we'll get back to you. <laughs> so it's not all worked out yet. I think I will end up working from home at some point, like or maybe part time working from home or something. But as of now, I just hang out with my kid. It's kind of nice. <laughs> built built a fort in the living room today. Got all mad at me. He found out we have to take it down. It's like, I thought that was permanent. God damn it. I'm going to be mad tomorrow when I'm sitting in front of my computer. I don't blame you. Two hours later when I get up, I'll text you to remind you. I don't know. I sleep in pretty late, even even though I do have to work. Well, I think the what a lot of people are going to realize is when they start working from home is that you can get either you can get a lot more done or you can get the same amount done in a lot less time when you work from home. Oh yeah. Depending on the nature of your job, of course, but usually a couple hours I have everything done, and then it's just video games and movies for the rest of my day. Yeah. I used to have a job like that where I could get, I could literally take a month's worth of work and get it done in a day if I really, really worked hard. <laughs> and then I would just have nothing to do, but I'd have to keep going in 
and so I used to try to spread that work out a little bit, but <laughs> it's still, you know, a lot of nothing. Poor enough. Those three cell phones, you can just like, yeah, bitch. But can you do like spend the whole time setting up pranks for when everybody else has to come back? I don't know. I don't think anybody would find them funny. <laughs> Stupid real world where people don't just want to prank each other all day. Can you just short chair all the chairs that are empty? That's not a bad idea. <laughs> are, do you have a bunch of douchebags in your office that are really particular about their chairs? And could you just switch them all up? And it'd be such a subtle thing that no one would know you did it until they were all uncomfortable simultaneously. No, the worst the worst thing is everyone's really cool and real nice, so I just feel bad doing something mean. Fuck, that's terrible. That's even worse. How dare you all be nice? <laughs> now they're going to just come in and their desks are all tidied up. <laughs> Noah's swept underneath all the stuff that nobody usually picks up. Ah, <laughs> uh, I punked you. I cleaned your area. <laughs> Noah, the anti-prankster. I left, I left a nice scented candle on your desk. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Tell you something, that, that would fuck me up if I came in and someone had cleaned my desk while I wasn't there. I'd be like, oh, what's the what's the trick here? What am I going to find? Did something happen to my desk? Why did it have to get cleaned up? <laughs> no, we're just nice and cleaned it. Nobody does anything to be nice. There's something and I'm going to find it. I've never met a nice person in my life. I don't see why this would be the first time. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.